0: Hello everyone and welcome back. Thanks for listening to Insurance Uncovered. Now in season five of Namics podcast, we're featuring all new insurance news and perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. I'm your host, Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering Right to Repair. Lawmakers introduce new bills to ensure consumers can get vehicles and electronics serviced by independent contractors, plus, Dynamics Regional Vice Presidents share insights on critical insurance issues facing legislative action around the country. But first, from our nation's capital. President Joe Biden has signed a spending bill that includes a portion of the Strengthening American Cybersecurity Act. That section of the bill is notable because for the first time it will require the Department of Homeland Security, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, to create rules for critical infrastructure owners and operators to report cybersecurity incidents within 72 hours and ransomware payments within 24 hours. Critical infrastructure entities include the energy industry, transportation, healthcare, financial services, including insurance companies, and other sectors of the economy. With the ongoing war in Ukraine, cyber issues have gained extra momentum in Washington as assorted stakeholders have expressed concern with anticipation of Russian-led cyber attacks on American institutions and infrastructure. A new bipartisan bill introduced in the Senate last week hopes to enable consumers with resources to repair their vehicles. The Fair Repair Act would require original equipment manufacturers of digital electronic equipment to make available certain documentation, diagnostic and repair information. Right to repair bills are becoming increasingly popular in Washington Another bill introduced in the House, known as the Repair Act, differs from the Senate version in that it ensures auto repair shops, owners, and operators have access to vehicle-generated data necessary to fix a car. Namek is keenly aware of the need for insurance companies to have access to vehicle-generated data and has made it a centerpiece of its grassroots congressional contact program for the past several years. On our last episode of Insurance Uncovered, we heard from Build Strong Coalition Executive Director Natalie Enclade. She recently appeared on the Weather Channel to promote ways the Resilient America Act saves dollars, lives, and communities. During that appearance, Enclave was asked to explain how the RAA is different and how this bill would help Americans more than any other previous legislation we've seen on this topic. Currently, it would increase the amount of funding that goes into the Building Resilient Infrastructure and Community Program that FEMA currently runs, or BRIC. It's more commonly known as BRIC. And it would allow nonprofits to be eligible for this funding, It would also create a pilot program to fund residential resilience retrofit grants. In a letter to Congress, the Build Strong Coalition urged members to consider the Resilient America Act as soon as possible, writing, quote, the longer we wait to address our gaps in mitigation and resilience measures, the more our communities will continue to bear consequences. Well, back in January, we introduced you to a group of our NAMIC advocates who are on the ground in states nationwide standing up for insurers' interests. Today, we're continuing that series with two new regional vice presidents, Caitlin Murray, who represents the southeast region, and Andrew Perkins, who works in the Great Lakes area. NAMIC CEO Neil Aldridge recently sat down with them to discuss some of the major issues facing the insurance industry in state legislatures this year.
1: Today on Insurance Unscripted, we're welcoming two members of NAMIC's state advocacy team to join us. They're going to give us an update on their regions and, and how the legislative sessions are going in their regions of the country. Also with us today is Andrew Kirkner. Andrew's our vice president, or what is your title, Andrew? Assistant Vice President of State Affairs, right? And Andrew was joined us on the first go-around when we interviewed some of the other advocacy team members, and he's going to give us an update on some of the issues we talked about earlier uh, in the year, kind of give us a little preview on what's going on. Some states are ending, some states are at the middle. He's just going to kind of give us a little broad update, and then we're going to sp- focus on uh, the two regions of the country, in the southeast and the Great Lakes region as well. So, Andrew Kirchner, take it away.
2: Thanks, Dale. Yeah, it's a great, great to be back with you today. Um, I think on our, our last podcast we talked about the southwest and northeastern regions, um, there was plenty of doom and gloom included in there uh, as we were heading into the spring legislative sessions across the country. Um, but I, I think what we've seen play out in sort of in the early months as the spring sessions wind to a close um, is that once again, you know, the industry's advocacy uh, has been effective Um we talked specifically about threats to risk-based pricing, uh, specific underwriting factors like gender or territory. Um, there are states with uh, legislative sessions still ongoing and places where those remain threats, places like Delaware uh, or Maine or Rhode Island, primarily the, the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast uh, seem to be the trouble spots there. Uh, but by and large, you know, the industry, again, has been successful in, in sort of heading off uh, many of those threats or, or mending bad bills. Uh, it's still certainly uh, up in the air in terms of what comes out, but we are excited uh, here at NAMIC that we've been able to you know, give legislators a full picture of the underlying questions on some of those bills. An example there would be a, a bill in Delaware to uh, eliminate the use of gender as a rating factor. Uh, a number of uh, legislators, I think some sponsors included, uh, maybe feel like they were sold a bill of goods in terms of the underlying data. Uh, and maybe didn't think of the fact that that uh, young women would be forced to pay more for auto insurance uh, should that rating factor be eliminated. So encouraging uh, progress there, though that bill is still certainly uh, in the process. Uh, we also talked about specifically New Jersey and Colorado on the last call. So in New Jersey, we had given an update about a bad faith bill uh, that had just passed through the legislative uh, uh, chamber uh, and been signed into law. Um, certainly that, that bill is concerning, and we still have a very tough legislative climate in New Jersey, but I do think there's starting to be some sort of cracks in the armor, uh, as it were, uh, in terms of our relationship with legislative leadership. Uh, we're certainly uh, going into this uh, eyes wide open, but we're, we're optimistic that we may be able to form some closer relationships uh, in New Jersey than, than we thought before. Uh, The final update, I think, is relevant here uh, would be Colorado. Uh, We talked a little bit about the disparate impact bill that passed uh, in the waiting days of last year's legislative session. Uh, The rulemaking process just started, and this is a really interesting process. The bill essentially authorized the insurance commissioner to make rules uh, to implement stress testing, which is a sort of uh, disparate impact light standard. So the Department of Insurance in Colorado just had its first stakeholder meeting, and in one of the wilder things I've seen in my time uh, lobbying, more than 400 interested parties joined that stakeholder meeting, uh, and that, that, that dealt just with the life insurance space. Uh, so I think it's illustrative that that's a pretty big deal, uh, that, that there's a, a number of folks, NAMIC included, and certainly I think leading the way. Uh, that are interested and engaged in that process uh, and trying to make, you know, what is not a great situation in terms of what that bill requires, uh, into a better one. So that's uh, that's sort of a recap of what we did last uh, during the last podcast. I know there's a number of issues both in the Great Lakes uh, and the southeastern zones that would be uh, great to to dig into today.
1: Sure, <clears throat> that's good good update, Andrew, and and good work uh, by everybody in terms of trying to keep some of these worst ideas at bay here around the country and you're right that sounds like an extraordinary uh, process in Colorado it's going to be very interesting to see how that thing develops over time so Caitlin why don't we turn to you Caitlin Murray is our regional vice president uh, for the southeast region Caitlin's based in Florida uh, where there's always something going on that deals with the insurance industry no matter what but she's also got uh, a little good news coming out of Georgia Uh, and so why don't you start there Caitlin and then cover uh, what's going on the rest of the region
3: yeah absolutely thank you neil um so yes in august of 2021 georgia's supreme court um, in the alston and bird versus hatcher management holdings decision uh, ruled that only named defendants could be apportioned fault so this means essentially instead of the law that's been in place for 16 years where a jury assigning percentages of fault to the plaintiff defendant and any other parties they believe might be involved or at fault Uh, meaning the defendant would only be responsible for their portion or percentage of the damages awarded and nothing else, no more. So now the apportionment of fault can still be decided, but will no longer offset the damages owed by a single defendant. Uh, So after this decision, the business community, NAMIC members, the state trade, GAPSIC, myself, on behalf of our NAMIC members, we all rallied um, and were part of letters of support and conversations with members of the legislature. And on March 1st, the House voted unanimously to move an industry-supported bill that allows the apportionment of damages in single-defendant lawsuits to the Senate. Uh, there was certainly some consternation over the fact that after, all, um, after the bill was heard in judiciary and moved on to the House floor, it sat on the calendar for 10 legislative days before moving again. Um, but it's now sitting in the Senate judiciary, It's my understanding that although the session ends on April 4th, the Senate isn't taking up House bills immediately. Um, But still, the general attitude is that it's going to be okay. The business community has signed off. The trial bar um, has agreed to not oppose it. So at this point, everything's looking pretty promising in Georgia, at least on on that bill. Um, As far as uh, other issues or threats or opportunities outside of um, Georgia in the southeast for 2022, uh, I would say, uh, as, Met, as, as Kirkner mentioned before, um, I, don't, I don't see the threats to risk-based pricing. Um, it's not as prevalent in my uh, region as it might be in some of my colleagues, um, except for Louisiana d- did just file a bill that prohibits the use of credit scoring, among other factors in um, auto- underwriting. Um, but I would say my biggest threat in my region at this point is the trial bar infiltration of like, the free market Republican legislators. Um, And with it being an election year, I think we're going to see a lot more of that uh, play out in between the candidates and throughout the the races. Um, So that's something to definitely watch in my region. But as far as session goes for 2022, um, Florida just wrapped up their legislative session on March 14th. Um, A lot was accomplished, but certainly there was more room for growth and and more room to get things done. Um, I'll put it this way much of the divide that we saw this session in florida was between the governor's office the speaker and the senate president um and that worked both favorably and unfavorably for us and for the industry as a whole um for example the contentious issue of the no-fault repeal system in florida um and the bad faith reform issue that NAMIC worked pretty relentlessly last uh, year to try to get a veto from the governor which was it, it um It was a good outcome and that happened, Um, but it it reared its ugly head again this session, um, along with a uh, problematic data privacy bill with a private cause of action and a direct impact on insurers. They both died due to negotiation breakdown between all the parties I I listed. Uh, On the flip side, um, there was momentum to continue to try to legislatively fix many of the problems we're seeing in Florida's property market. But unfortunately, uh, this legislation, along with actually a a non contentious just fixer up that was supported by the industry and omnibus bill, these both fell victim to the final hour unsuccessful wheeling and dealing uh, between the parties. Uh, This isn't surprising. As I mentioned before, in election year, it seems that in Florida, everyone's priorities are different with um, a Senate president that's running for Ag Commissioner. Um, a governor that is up for re-election um, and a speaker that we're, you know, we're waiting to see what he does next, but certainly um, has had an attitude of, of standing, you know, supporting his positions and believing that he got everything he needed to do and all his priorities, priorities he got done in 2021. Um, so seeing that everyone's priorities are very different, it, it was definitely clear um, as we saw some unique approaches this session by this leadership. Um, For example, a a governor with frankly more priorities and opinions on legislation than we have seen in the past in Florida. Um, So that's something that we are watching over the 2022 session, but we're also going to watch it play out in November. Um, So some other issues that are popping up as um, Florida's session came to an end, Louisiana's began the very same day. Um, and we know that Louisiana has had a rough few years with natural disasters. Um, so, as a result, the majority of the legislature would like to seek changes that um, are resulting in several problematic bills being filed. Um, and although I would say the industry is supportive of their efforts to try to fix some of these problems we've seen in Louisiana over the past several years, uh, some of these ideas, if passed, uh, will definitely have some unintended consequences. Already, the department and the respective House and Senate Insurance Committee chairs have announced their joint catastrophe reform legislative package. And uh, while there are positive components of the package, uh, including House Bill 612's incentives, incentives for resiliency in home building, it also includes items that in current form could cause more problems in the market than um, that we currently have. Uh, the list goes on with some good and bad bills from, from session that we're, we've seen, that we're seeing. Uh, I've currently six out of my eight states in session, with Florida having already wrapped up and North Carolina starting its short session in May. Um, I've covered some of the big issues here. Uh, there have been a lot of wins, many struggles, and in many cases, just not as much done as anticipated. Um, but that's likely due to being an election year and or redistricting. Uh, some positives, we've seen some more resiliency efforts across my region. We've seen extensions of COVID liability protections um, and more tort reform discussions, although not successful. Um, we, I can tell you, for example, South Carolina intends to, to work full throttle on some of the ideas this summer um, to fix the limited time demands, and the joint and several liability issues that South Carolina is seeing, uh, very similar to, to issues that Georgia has seen um, in the recent past, and, and we'll be seeing more of that certainly in 2023 as well.
1: well thanks, Caitlin. That's a, a comprehensive list. Your, your region is always one that never disappoints. There are lots of uh, issues in that part of the world, a lot of the coastal issues that just inherently create insurance public policy questions that we never seem to really solve we just sort of move them from one pile to another and then they all come back again it seems it is really a full-time job down there but we appreciate all your efforts and uh and great work also joining us today is one of the cast of thousands of andrews that we have here at namek we are blessed by having lots of lots of guys named andrew that work for us and he's one of them andrew perkins is based in chicago he covers what we call the Great Lakes region, which as you might imagine is mainly Midwestern states. Uh, also places that have lots of NAMIC member uh, homes of domicile. And, and Andrew over there in, in Illinois certainly got uh, a lot on his plate as well. So, Andrew, thanks for joining us. And why don't you give us a rundown on how things are going in your region?
4: Sure. Thanks, Neil. Uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Um, many of the, uh, that pretty closely follow Illinois uh, Will likely know that there have been major leadership changes over the last two years, really beginning um, during um, kind of peak COVID. Um, the first one is somebody that we supported. We had a fundra- We held a fundraiser for that's uh, Senate Republican wow. Leader Dan McConkey. Um, and but really the biggest one is we have a new speaker for the first time in 42 years. And that is stemming from uh, former Speaker Mike Madigan, who had to resign uh, in January of 2021 due to um, federal char- potential federal charges at that time of um, uh, bribing schemes with uh, the states, one of the state's major um, utility companies, um, and also Exelon, which is up above um, uh, ComEd. Um, Long story short, uh, a couple weeks ago, he was officially federally indicted. Um, he was already out of office, but it is something to note. Uh, obviously, um, back when you covered Illinois, I, I know you worked, uh, had to work and deal with uh, a lot of things that uh, the former speaker was dealing with, given his presence with the trial bar. Um and then the other is uh, Senate President Don Harmon, and this is another common theme. Um, Senator Harmon has been in the for, legislature for quite some time. Um, he's a Chicago area based person, but he has a very strong uh, trial bar background as well. So that's, that kind of uh, sets up the tone for what I'm going to get into next as, as far as what we're fighting with and, and dealing with against the trial bar. Um, so I I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks on that are going to be listening to this. Remember last year, there was a prejudgment interest bill that was tied, um, towards the end of session in the, what obviously they call lame duck session. And that was basically considered speaker Matt, former speaker Madigan's parting gift to the trial bar. That original bill um, Senate Bill 72, it was, it was passed uh, at the 11th hour of the lame duck session, and um, the governor luckily in, in our efforts, uh, the governor waited the full 60 days that he has to sign the bill, and we had several meetings with, directly with the governor's office, we wrote letters, we had uh, grassroots advocacy, um, which all played a, a very big role in, in what we were able to accomplish, he ended up vetoing uh, the 9% interest rate bill. Um, however, the trial bar, especially in Illinois or really everywhere, uh, as we know, does not give up. So they quickly filed a new bill, um, but um, that set it down to 7%. Uh, we continued to fight that. Uh, we worked with legislative colleagues uh, on both sides, really, and ultimately. The final bill that was passed ended up being at a level of six percent, and we're of course not thrilled with that. Um, but getting it down from nine, the original nine to six percent, was a uh, pretty big win. So the next um, theme that you're going to find uh, with the trial bar is, is their focus on litigation lending. Um, they passed the bill similar to the pre-judgment bill at the 11th hour in the middle of the night. Nobody even knew it was coming. Nobody had a chance to testify or weigh in. Um, currently, that bill, as it stands, has no disclosure requirements and uh, does not uh, have a cap on rates. So we continue to work on that. It did pass the Senate, um, but we were able to, at least for now, there's two more weeks of of committee hearings. Last week it was posted for committee and um, we were able to uh, make the sponsor aware that of our opposition with the business community and he decided not to call the bill. And then two other good things in Illinois, um, there's been an an OEM parts bill that has been kind of floating around. uh, I know the last couple of years, not only in Illinois, but, This bill, I believe they got from uh, some of the states in the Northeast region, region, and we were able to, once again, talk to the sponsor, and she informed us that she will not run the bill. Uh, I take her at her her word. So that's positive news um, outside of some of the other negative news um, in Illinois. And then quickly, I wanted to shift kind of from the legislative uh, side of things onto the political front uh, in Illinois. And we've been engaged already on two um, fundraisers for Supreme Court nominees. Uh, they're both based in different districts um, in the collar counties of uh, Chicago. Uh, those were very successful. We're going to look to do more of that with those candidates uh, as the election gets closer. Um But again, I I think they're successful and it gives the Republican Party the first time in about 30 to 40 years uh, a chance to have the majority in a heavily trial bar run Supreme Court. And then two quick other things I wanted to mention in my region. Uh, Kentucky also has a very similar uh, litigation lending bill. But we have been working closely with our state trade partner and others. And it sounds like as of last week, this bill will not be moving, which is good news. But as as we all know, uh, in the industry, it's not going to go away next year and likely uh, is going to resurface. And then in Minnesota, um, there is a um, underwriting dog breed bill that we're seeing and i think andrew's going to touch on it very shortly uh it's being moved to NCOIL and, and at a national level um so far every intel that we have on the ground is that it won't be moving this year in minnesota and we've been able to kind of tell them we need to we need to see what Ncoil comes out with and and move from there so i think i'll i'll wrap it up there but thanks again
1: for having me on thanks for joining us as always We'll go back to Andrew Kirkner, where we started. Um, we could have a podcast of Andrews one day. Maybe we just have all of the Andrews and we can just call each other Andrew uh, during the podcast. That would be great. So Kirkner, why don't you wrap it up here with some some final items, and then we'll move it along.
2: Yeah, thanks, and that was an excellent update from around the regions. I would just say, you know, the battlefield doesn't stop at the state houses. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on depending on your perspective, Uh, NAMIC staff is engaged in battles uh, on behalf of its members uh, and a number of other places, including the NAIC, which is the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, uh, and INCOIL, the National uh, Council of Insurance Legislators. Uh, And so there's a number of ideas percolating in those two groups that are relevant to members. I'll just hit a couple of highlights uh, that were actually mentioned in some of the uh, regional updates. The first would be uh, a model on delivery network companies that Incoil is considering, so this is your Uber Eats and your Lyft, uh, uh, excuse me, your Uber Eats and your Lyft delivery services in addition to uh, Drizzly, alcohol delivery, things like that. Uh, There's some questions around the appropriate levels of coverage, and certainly NAMIC is engaged uh, and helping lead that discussion to make sure there are appropriate levels of coverage for the drivers engaged in those activities. There's also going to be a bill to uh, ban the use of dog breed in rating and underwriting from insurance companies. Uh, NAMIC's position there is to preserve uh, underwriting uh, flexibility. uh, And so we will be uh, opposing that bill and and working to make it better if, if, uh, Outright defeat is not an option. Uh, final issue at Inquo that I think is really relevant to most members is uh, insurance transparency, which is essentially an effort uh, to inform consumers about why their premiums increase uh, or why they are denied coverage by an insurer. So the scenario is uh, an ins- a policyholder sees a pretty significant uh, rate increase. Uh, and then uh, asks it uh, their agent uh, or the insurance company why they saw the rate increase. Um, and so uh, this model, uh, as it's uh, been sort of given to us in concept, would require insurers to provide transparency in that space. So we've heard loud and, and clear from our members uh, that they are willing to engage in that discussion with the sponsor of the bill. Uh, certainly, we see transparency as a customer service issue, and we're uh, certainly not shying away uh, from that discussion. We think there's some ways to make that bill better, and we'll be engaged through the process. So um, shifting over really briefly to close, the NEIC will uh, have its uh, uh, April meeting in Kansas City, and so it's got a full slate of items uh, won't dig too far into the details there, but we're expecting uh, some action on uh, climate disclosure, on uh, some, some items coming out of uh, data collection in the race and insurance uh, subcommittee. Uh, and so it's really a full slate at NAIC, uh, and so we're, we're looking forward to a, what I would describe as a robust meeting uh, in Kansas City. So that's, that's a, a super high-level uh, overview of where things sit there.
1: Great. Thanks, Andrew. Well, Andrew Perkins, Caitlin Murray, thanks for joining us today. Great job, as always, with for NAMIC members. Uh, you guys are the tip of the spear uh, for us in, in, in your regions, and we appreciate all your work every day. Andrew Kirkner, great job with the, with the national level stuff and keeping all the trains moving. Uh, thanks for joining us today, everybody, and uh, keep up the good work.
0: Before we wrap up today's podcast, we want to remind you that the deadline to apply for the NAMIC Mutual Insurance Foundation Scholarship is fast approaching. So if you know a student working toward a career in the property casualty or fire science industries, encourage them to apply online by March 31st. That's the deadline. Individual scholarships of up to 5,000 will be awarded to qualified students. Details for how to apply can be found online at namicmutualfoundation.org. And if you'd like to make a donation, there's still time. So please don't hesitate to uh, check out the Mutual Foundation and the scholarship program. Administrative support for the foundation is provided by Namico. And that's all for this episode of Insurance Uncovered. We'll be back on April 6th with more insurance news and interviews. In the meantime, and as always, if there's a topic or issue you'd like us to uncover, don't hesitate to let us know. You can always send us an email at uncovered@namic.org. Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus.
4: Have a wonderful day.